So again, welcome to all who are here in person. Good morning. Welcome to all who are viewing and participating in our worship assembly online. We're grateful for everyone's uh, presence. I can tell you that the clock in the back says that it is 9.32. And so I don't know about you, but I plan to preach until that clock says about 10.50. And, um, and I have a feeling that before I get too very far into the lesson, there are going to be three or four of our men that are going to be looking for a ladder to go back and change that clock during the sermon. I promise I will remember that that's an hour off. I appreciate our elders, our shepherds, so very much. If you can imagine how difficult these last uh, 12 months plus have been for you and for your family then consider being called upon to shepherd and make decisions that concern this church family in addition to their own. And so I appreciate everyone's support for them and prayers for them and encouragement to them. And I certainly appreciate our shepherds for uh, being willing to do exactly that and to lead us through this time and to continue to lead us. Uh, You know, (laughs) there are... There are some who have said we have moved too quickly through this whole thing to try to get back to some sense of normalcy. There are others who say uh, we uh, have moved far too slowly in that. And there are some today that uh, are feeling those same things. I think the vast majority of our congregation and our church family appreciates uh, the leadership of our shepherds and, and are grateful for them and continue to pray for them. Uh, realizing that this is a uh, this has been a very difficult uh, difficult task, and so we want to uh, commend them. We want to uh, commend all of you for your continued participation and for your continued support of this church family. Even those during those several weeks where we weren't here uh, for I believe it was five weeks, five or six weeks, we uh, our our ministers. And one of our shepherds and our wonderful uh, AV team met here on Wednesdays and recorded a church service to be shown on Sunday. And what a blessing that we are well past that. But as Wade said, not out of this, uh, of course. And so we want to continue to be mindful of those who are struggling. Joyce and I were uh, talking the other day, and I I feel very strongly that um, our perspective of everything that we've been through over these last 12 months really is uh, impacted in a huge way by how closely this disease has hit us. If you have lost a loved one because of the novel coronavirus of this past year plus, then that affects your impression of this whole experience. If you have not lost any loved one, if you have not been severely challenged by what we have experienced, that impacts how you view what's gone on and what's going on right now. So I appreciate very much our elders trying to take everyone into consideration and all of those experiences and trying to lead uh, a church of several hundred people with several hundred different views and do that faithfully and with love and at the same time Uh, with that trust in the Lord God that Wade spoke about 
earlier. I have come to believe over these last uh, few weeks especially, but in this series on the book of Romans, I have come to believe that God has uh, brought this to us uh, for this very special time and that the book of Romans is especially applicable for us and the things that we have experienced, the things that we are experiencing, and where we are in light of all of that. Not just where we are in our own physical and emotional well-being, but maybe even more importantly, where we are in our spiritual well-being. Because I believe the book of Romans speaks to all of those things. It speaks to a church, to a group of Christians in the center of the empire. An empire that was not sympathetic to the church at all. And yet this is what was told them. And this is what is told us. Let's bow for a moment in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the way you have blessed us. We are mindful of those who have experienced such great loss, who have had to make such great sacrifices because of COVID-19. We're mindful of all of those who have worked and risked so much to help others because of COVID-19. And we're grateful for them. And we know that they continue to do that same thing. And we're thankful. Father, we're grateful for your blessing of this church, for our shepherds, for all of those who lead us in so very many ways as we seek to continue the life and ministry of this church family. And we're thankful, Father, for the progress that has been made in our country and around the world, in this community and in our church. And we're thankful, Father, for the horizon that looks far better than the immediate history. But we pray, Father, that you would help us to continue to not only act wisely, uh, but to act with great planning as our shepherds are committed to doing. And also, Father, to act with great love and consideration for each other. Father, we're thankful for this grand book of Romans. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul and his life, for the Christians there in the center of the empire who struggled with many of the same things that we struggle with and who received words from the Holy Spirit on how to live a life faithfully in the midst of all of that. Help us, Father, to hear those words, to accept that call, to feel, Father, that great assurance and victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans 7 that we discussed last week spoke very honestly of the frustrating struggle that we all have with sin. As I mentioned last week, I appreciate very much the Apostle Paul and his honesty in Romans 7. Being willing to say, hey, the things that I know I should do, I don't do. (laughs) And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing those things. And I don't believe that that was something that Paul was commenting on in previous times in his life, but I think it was something he was commenting on constantly. (laughs) Presently, every day, he faced that struggle just as we do every day. And so this incredible seventh chapter of Romans ends with these words in verses 21 through 25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature or or flesh, a slave to the law of sin. And that leads us into Romans 8. Romans 8, my very favorite chapter of the Bible, calls us and empowers us to live not according to the sinful nature or flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8 is a powerful statement. It's some of the most familiar verses that you will recall as we read through this great chapter today. Romans 8 announces there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 promises we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8 asks if God is for us, who can be against us? And Romans 8 affirms nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What a perfect time for us to hear these words again. And so I want us to read through this great book in sections and then read through it at the end of our message in one reading. First of all, our obligation. This book gives us great words of affirmation that tells us how we are recipients of the righteousness of God through faith by the grace and power of God and we have nothing to do really with receiving that ourselves that is strictly a gift from God but the book of Romans also communicates how we are raised from that watery grave of baptism to live a new life Romans 6 tells us a life that is a slave to Christ not to self that is uh, committed to righteousness not sinfulness in Romans 12 how we are living sacrifices. And then in those last chapters, chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, especially in chapter 16, it talks about what we are called to do, what that looks like in living faithfully to God. And he deals in those chapters with the hardest things that we deal with today. Relationship issues. What to do when brethren disagree the call to love, how to be respectful citizens in a community, in a a nation that is not only unsympathetic to your Christian faith, but antagonistic towards it. And on and on those chapters go. He begins speaking in this great chapter of our obligation. Our obligation. And and it's contrasted with chapter 7 that says, this is how you live when you're living according to the flesh. But that's not how we live anymore. Yes, we still struggle with that and fail sometimes, but that's not how we live. Our obligation is to live according to the Spirit in the hope and the faithfulness and the unselfishness and the confidence and the joy that comes from having the Holy Spirit living in our lives and calling the shots in how we live. 
our obligation. In, in Romans 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What great news that is. He just spent a whole chapter saying, I do wrong things all the time. I don't do right things all the time. And now looking at the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, the the great gift that we have through the Holy Spirit, he makes this great affirmation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's not up to me. If it were up to me, I would be condemned. But because it's up to Christ and his sacrifice that we celebrated earlier as our brother Bill Paschal led us around the table, because it's up to Christ and his blood and his broken body, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit whose trust is in God and not in ourselves. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But he goes on to say, that's not you. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. That is our assurance that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will do the same for us. Therefore, verse 12, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Only a few times is that term found in the New Testament, Abba, Father. It's found in Galatians 4 in a very similar passage to this. But it's also found in Mark 14. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in Jesus' most vulnerable moment. And in that moment, he prays, Abba, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It is that same term 
Paul says, we, through the blood of Christ, now call our God, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And the people who received this letter were suffering in ways far beyond what, not only what we have experienced, but I believe what we will ever experience in this country. Our obligation, now that we have been saved by the grace of God through the response of faith, is to live according to the Spirit. Not in order to be saved, but because we are. Not in order to receive the Spirit, but because He already is inside of us. Our obligation is to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. This is righteousness living. And then He speaks of our hope. Our hope in the first verse that we read is one that I know is very special to the Stifer family. Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is a struggle this world has enduring, is enduring. Just like it's a struggle for us in this physical, carnal, secular, temporary world. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved, our hope. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In a similar way, Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, we live by faith, not by sight. Why? Because our hope isn't seen yet. Our hope isn't realized yet. And as he writes in that great love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, as you very well know, he concludes by saying, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love will endure. Hope will one day become sight. Faith will one day be realized. And love will continue on. But for now, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by hope, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? It wouldn't be hope any longer, but it's hope now. This is our hope. Our hope is for resurrection and to live eternally in the presence of God. Our obligation, our hope, our help. It's hard to live by faith, isn't it? It's hard to live by hope. I'd much prefer, God, you let me live by sight. Thank you very much. 
(laughs) You let that hope be seen. You let that faith be realized. But so far, God has said, not just yet, Bill. You keep living by faith a little bit longer. You keep living by hope a little bit longer. But I'll help you get through it. What is our help? Our help is the Holy Spirit of God. Verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know how we ought to pray. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Living by hope and living by faith is hard, so we need help. And God says, I've got your help. It's in my presence, in the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus told his disciples in that upper room shortly before his own death and his own departure from them, he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. I've been your comforter so far, but I'm going to leave. And I'm going to leave you with another comforter. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to provide my presence for you to continue. And that is going to be through the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he gives one example. And that one example is prayer. We don't even know what we ought to pray for sometimes. (laughs) But whether we have the words or we don't, we have the confidence and assurance and the help that the Holy Spirit inside of us communicates our desires, our needs, our prayers to the Holy Spirit of God. And the Father hears on the throne and acts. Our spirits inside of us share those prayers that are simply groans that no words can can actually communicate. Have you ever been there? I know you have. The loss of a loved one. The loss of a relationship. Great fear over what tomorrow might hold. And you kneel down to pray and the words just don't come. And you struggle. And it's in those times and moments especially that our spirit communicates with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us in language only the spirit can understand. And the Holy Spirit takes those prayers and puts them before the very throne of our Heavenly Father in words that only spirit understands. And because God is spirit. He hears those prayers. That is our hope. That is our help. Our help, just as Jesus promised his disciples toward the end of the Gospel of John, is the Holy Spirit of God and his presence within us. And it leads to our calling. Our calling in these familiar words in Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. 
What a great passage filled with important teaching. And I want us to begin with that great verse, verse verse 28. And I want us to take a look and see what the subject is. If the subject in your translation is things rather than God, your translation misses this verse because that's not the subject. The subject is God. It is God who works. Things don't work out. God works out things. <laughs> Whatever's going on in your life, it may be good, it may be bad, it may be easy, it may be hard. God will work through that and will work that out for your good. Maybe not your good at this particular moment, maybe not the good that you think that you would want, maybe not good that is based on physical emotional, temporary lives, but ultimate spiritual good for you and for those around us. This passage doesn't say that only good things happen to us. It doesn't say that God brings only good things to his people. It doesn't say that at all. And if you've ever read the Bible, you know that's not true because there were very faithful people of God, Old Testament, Gospels, and New, who had very bad things happen to them, unjust things, painful things. But even in the midst of those things, God was at work. And he was able to take those things and those experiences and work them out for good. In those people's lives and in the people around them that God had sent them to, to minister to. This passage doesn't say that only good things happen to us, nor does it say that the things that happen to us control us. Again, God is the subject, not the things that happen to us. As we look at this subject, remember that. Things don't work out. God works out things. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Our calling is to conform to the image of Christ. And so, Bill, do you believe in predestination? Do you think the answer to that question is yes? Bill, do you believe that this passage teaches predestination? The answer to that question, also yes, but not like you might be thinking. I don't believe that God predestines individuals to be saved or lost. You're saved, you're saved, you're lost, you're lost, no matter what you do or how you live. I don't believe that for a second. I do believe God's foreknowledge knows ahead of time everything that's going to happen, everyone who's going to be saved, everyone who's going to be lost. But what does this passage teach about predestination? Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he has predestined. God has predetermined, he has predestined that those who would be saved would be those who live like his son. Those who conform themselves to the image of his son. Our calling is to conform to the image of Christ, to live the way he lived and to value what he values. And finally, this great chapter ends with our confidence. In verses 31 through 39, these verses give us the great assurance that we're looking for. These verses remind us of what Bill shared during our communion time, that our God is a great and powerful God, but he is on our side. 
Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Here's the thing. God has not withheld from you the thing that means the most to him. And if that's the case, why would he withhold anything else? He has given you everything by giving you his son. And Paul's point is the one God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And again, he's on our side. He's with us. We're with him. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. If there's anyone who has the right to judge us and condemn us, it's Jesus Christ and he died for us. And he is at the right hand of God speaking to the Father in our behalf. And so verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? Can difficult things that go on in this world, challenges that we have, struggles that we have, can they separate us from the love of Christ? How about famine or nakedness, poverty, difficulty in this life? Can that separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus or Lord? How about danger or sword? How about the threat of harm and death? How about even death itself? Can that separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? The answer is an emphatic, no, it cannot. Why is that? Verse 36, quoting from the Psalms, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We're already dead. Satan, you want to tempt us with harm, with difficulty, with death? Bring it on. Come on. We've already made that choice. We've already given our lives to Christ. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me, Paul says in Galatians 2.20. Paul says in Philippians 1, in jail. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Don't, don't threaten me with death. I'm already there. It's Christ living in me. No, verse 37 says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our confidence is if God is for us, who can be against us? Our confidence is that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Our confidence is that in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Our confidence is that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Righteousness living then is living victoriously by the Spirit. 
rather than by the frustration of the flesh. This chapter, I believe, is meant to be in contrast with chapter 7. And it speaks of our great victory in Jesus, as we'll sing about in just a moment. But before we do that, let's read through Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Righteousness living is living victoriously by the spirit rather than by the frustration of the flesh. Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. If you want him to be your savior today, come as we stand. Sing this great hymn together.